Welcome to Fired Up, an original podcast from Ignite Fan Insights, powered by NASCAR, the National Sports Forum, and the Association of Luxury Suite Directors. This is a podcast for sports business pros like you. We go behind the gates and beyond the numbers that keep sports fans coming back for more. Our host, Chris Wise, is the brains behind Ignite Fan Insights. With a commitment to research and innovation for over 30 years, he knows the right questions to ask, and most importantly, what to do with the answers. Get ready for in-depth, engaging conversations with sports industry leaders that will inspire you to take action and connect with your fans. I'm producer Brad Carpenter, and this is Fired Up. Welcome to Fired Up. Today, we welcome Kerry Vick. He's director of sales for the Indianapolis Indians. Gary, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. Appreciate you having me. Tell us about yourself, background, position, responsibilities, how you found your way to Indianapolis, and what your day-to-day looks like compared to, to eight months ago. Yeah, you got it. Uh, so I started off uh, with the Indianapolis Indians fresh out of college. I went to Ball State. I'm a, I'm a lifelong Hoosier, um, born and raised in a small Indiana town. Came down the road to Indianapolis uh, just in need of an internship to graduate. Um, the old story, it's, it's the best way to break into sports. Find uh, an internship program that gives you an opportunity to just kind of get your feet wet, go through the grind, go through all the mud. And if you, you come out of that and you, you love what you do, then you know you're cut out for sports. And if you don't, you're not. Uh, so I did that. And I, I happened to land an a internship with the Indianapolis Indians, uh, Victory Fields, a triple-A team uh, here in the heart of uh, central Indiana. And I love it. It's a, it's a fantastic organization. I, I didn't come into this industry with the hopes and dreams of being a, a lifelong minor league baseball guy. Um, everyone who's, who's kind of coming out with that degree in sports management or sport administration kind of has their, their, their sights set on the major leagues. Cause that's where all the glitz and glamor is. But, um, I, I love the small organization feel. I love the, the, uh, the connectivity that you have with the community. Um, and it's, it's just been a great fit for me. And I've, I've now been there for, uh, just over 20 years now. And I've been around since, uh, we had a, a relatively new stadium to now we've got a relatively old stadium and, and seeing that. That evolution and life cycle uh, has been uh, uh, pretty rewarding for me. What I do on a day-to-day basis, uh, so I oversee tickets with a specific focus on premium services and events, and uh, that's a bigger and bigger part of sports in general and, and hospitality is just kind of figuring out the best ways to capture your clientele and create the kind of experiences that they're looking for. So premium seating and premium services is basically any time when a ticket is more than just a ticket, right? So if it includes, you know, anything from food and beverage to extra leg room to just, you know, more of a social interaction um, kind of space and some amenities to it, then it's considered a premium seat. And that's that's an area that um, sports in general has gotten better and better and smarter and smarter at over the, the, the past really 5, 10, 15, 20 years is kind of figuring out how to create those experiences. So that's that's one of the things that I've tried to bring to the organization. Um, that's kind of what my background is in. Uh, the other side is, is events where – Really, anytime the, the team is on the road or we go through an off season uh, and we've got this this really nice ballpark in the middle of Indianapolis, uh, right across the street from the convention center and some hotels. And we're like, you know, what are we going to do with this space? There there are people that would love to, to come in here and do something. And 
And so uh, our events uh, program has kind of taken off and, and uh, given us the opportunity to uh, create some of those different kinds of experiences that people don't get a chance to do, get down in the field, play their own game of softball, uh, have a wedding reception there, that kind of thing. So I oversee the, the events program from, from A to Z. I'm, I'm heavily involved in the premium service sales and, and operations. Mostly we've got a sales department that handles most of the, the inbound and outbound, but um, in terms of strategy and services and operations, uh, I'm right there. And, and I also work with our, our corporate suite holders as well. Um, so I oversee those sales services and operations. But, you know, that's that's kind of a, in a nutshell. Uh, at the minor league level, you wear all the proverbial hats. You get to do a lot of different things. You're not, you know, pigeonholed into one or two areas. So that, that's what I love about it. I'd love that. I find that to be just so much fun. I love minor league baseball because it is so, it's so engaging. And I think even major league has taken a cue in some ways to engage fans from the minor league organizations. But minor league uh, baseball is going through some changes. Can you tell us a bit about your market first and the reaction shown by the people of the greater Indianapolis area? Yeah, you bet. Uh, so Indianapolis is interesting because for us, Indianapolis is, you know, it's at that cusp of being a major league market, but we're a minor league team and you don't get that a lot. You get a lot of minor league markets, minor league teams and minor league markets or major league teams and major league markets, but to be in a city that's very rich on on sports and, and sports has been kind of the backbone and, and really helped make the city what it is. There's a lot of stuff that we're competing against and then being a minor league team, we get a lot of uh, support from the community. We've got uh, a really good fan base, but you don't have the same kind of passion of fandom as as you would get at for a major league team, or if you're in like a small town and that's the only team in town, and it, and you know you're on the front page of the sports every day. We're kind of in that weird no man's land where we we get very little coverage um, around the the. Uh, market because there is so much going on. There's two major league teams. It's the racing capital of the world. There's Butler University. There's some other uh, universities really close by. Uh, we've got a lot of amateur sports, a lot of other minor league stuff. So there's just so much that we're competing against. So for us, really, we could have a, a championship caliber team or we could have a last place team and our fans really don't care. And we fought that battle for many years. We, we did everything we could to try to get genuine passion and interest in in the club in our record in our players and and the fans were just, you know they've got so much else going on other things that they're paying attention to and, and so but we we turned that into an advantage so we found over the years that you can roll out a really consistent product night in and night out when it doesn't matter who you're playing doesn't matter who's on the mound doesn't matter if we won eight straight or lost eight straight the, the crowd is pretty much this, the exact same size as it would be otherwise, and, and they're going to be enthusiastic throughout. And they may leave in the sixth inning and have no idea what the score is, but if you uh, exit polled them on the way out, there's like, yeah, we had, a, we had a fantastic time, best time of our summer. We, you know, we might have lost 12 to nothing, and they don't care. So <laughs> it's, and that part is really interesting for us, and, and it just kind of allows us to really focus on what we do well, uh, which is – entertainment, making sure the facility is nice and clean and it's attractive and we're touching people in a lot of different ways. We'll make sure the, the food options are there and it's warm and the drink options are there and they're cold and uh, clean restrooms and easy parking and, and very, uh, you know, fan friendly services, all that kind of stuff is, is really what's critical for us to, to succeed and, and thrive. So that's, that's kind of a, a little, um, 
look into our, our market and, and kind of what our daily challenges are. Sure. It's interesting that, and I'm happy to hear that you, you know you're in the entertainment business, that it's, it's keeping those folks that come entertained and it's a joy for them to be there. And, and the, the whole idea, whether they win or lose, that's, that's very interesting um, because, you know, obviously your product, your on-field product uh, changes pretty regularly. So you don't, you don't get to develop a hero. You develop a hero. He goes to the show, right? Absolutely. I mean, we, we've got the highest level of baseball in the entire state of Indiana. Um, but our guys don't even want to be playing for us because they, they're at the AAA level. They're just, you know, one twisted ankle away from uh, getting a phone call up where they're going to make, you know, uh, salary 50 times greater than what they're making for us. So they, they don't want to be there, but they, they get that's part of the process. And, we get that it's it's good for them to you know move their way through Indianapolis as, as quickly as they can and and yeah the talent level is a revolving door. I mean you, we don't have the same uh, starting lineup you know from from one day to the next, but uh, you know that's that's part of it. We've accepted that long ago, and and uh, again we we know what we can focus on and and uh, the things that that we can't. Talk a little bit, if you will, just about the relationship between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball right now. Yeah, you got it. So it's actually a really interesting time because there there is a, a whole collective bargaining dispute going on between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, which doesn't make our lives any easier right now as if there's not enough to worry about. We don't even have a, a schedule yet for this upcoming season. And it's it's not even I mean, it's partially COVID related, but it, it's more so because there's this um, whole uh renegotiating um, going on between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. But ultimately what what that's going to mean for us is probably not much different. I think Major League Baseball wants to have a little bit more uh, control over the minor league teams and and they're kind of sorting that stuff out right now. They're they're looking to contract uh, several minor league teams. We, we've been at, uh, I think, 160 minor league baseball teams for quite a while. That's going to go down this year. Um, so there are some wholesale changes, but, you know, if – from our perspective, you know, it's a partnership. Um, the Indianapolis Indians and we're, we're our own separate entity. That's, you know, a lot of people kind of don't really understand how that relationship works, but we put on the business. So everything that happens within our gates is on us. We, we sell the tickets, we do all the marketing, uh, we do all the promotions, uh, we do all the operations, we clean the ballpark, we, we build a ballpark, all that stuff is done however we want it to be. And then everything that's done on field, basically between the foul lines, uh, actually from dugout to dugout, is ownership of the Pittsburgh Pirates. So they send us the players, they send us the coaches, the managers, the strength coaches, trainers, all those guys, all that, all that on-field team personnel. Those are all Pittsburgh Pirates uh, employees. Um, so they're they're basically like the the, the traveling entertainment. Um, so we're we're the host venue. Um, those guys come in, they put on a show and then they, they leave and, and, uh, we, we clean up the mess. Let's shift a little bit and talk about average game attendance pre 2020. What do you do and what do you plan to do to invite people back and to get them back to the stadium and feel comfortable in that venue? Attendance is, is our primary driver. I mean, everything, everything revolves, uh, around attendance. You know, it's not like at the major league level where you've got, enormous TV contracts and, and huge naming rights deals for us. It's, it's all about getting butts and seats and uh, getting as many people in there as you can, which helps to drive the, the concessions and the merchandise and the, the sponsor value and, and all those uh, ancillary categories. We generally average about 9,000 uh, give or take per game, which by minor league standards is great. It, yeah. it 
annually puts us in the top, usually in the top two or three in all of minor league baseball. We've had a couple of years where we were number one. We've had a couple of years where we were number four or five. But usually there's there's a core group of us that are all kind of competing for that that attendance title. And, and honestly, it's usually us and uh, a few other teams that have pretty new stadiums and and uh, you see throughout sports, really, you, you, you build a new stadium and, and there is a honeymoon period. There's, you know, five years or so where it sells itself and, and uh, your numbers are peaking. And uh, but then, you know, eventually they, they start to dwindle once the, the newness and the polish is kind of uh, worn off a little bit. Uh, but we've got a 20, uh, 25 year old stadium now, and and we're still we're still up there in that upper echelon, and we're still trying to be the uh, top every year. So it's an annual challenge um, to keep people coming back uh, when you don't have that new stadium. Um, so our our biggest challenge is is what can we do to um, make people still feel like it's fresh and and interesting and and new and and you know that's that's always our biggest challenge and and it's going to be even a bigger challenge this year coming off of uh, of a pandemic a, a completely lost season uh, where we didn't host any baseball any minor league baseball games last year uh, we had to get creative and and do whatever we could uh, to keep the ballpark uh, operational and keep the lights turned on, but our bread and butter, of course, is is uh, Indianapolis Indians baseball, and and so moving forward, we don't even know what to expect this year. Um, just out of the out of you know what's going on in, in the public, um, we know that there's a lot of enthusiasm. We know there's a lot of people that that want to get back out and and want to uh, do some stuff, and and you know feel comfortable being in an outdoor venue, but at the end of the day, are we going to get 9,000 people every game that are, you know, willing to sit in 21 inch, you know, seats shoulder to shoulder with, with complete strangers, you know, the way they used to, I don't know. Um, so we've got to rethink everything and, and that's going on uh, across sports and entertainment and, and really any, in any business where your whole business is about gathering people together um, in a, in a, you know, a, a social environment. Cause that's, that's the one thing that COVID is really, um, uh, challenging right now. It will be interesting to watch as a watching human behavior and consumer behavior, how it will evolve the migration back to, to something that's similar to what we were used to and what that, that will look like and how the, how the human mind will adapt to, uh, and and force us to do things in different ways. It's it's going to be quite interesting. And we're all we're all just kind of guessing. I mean, right now, it, you know, we're just a bunch of guys sitting in around a, a bunch of Zoom meetings trying to predict these behaviors and these you know the new buying habits and you know talking to other teams. And it's the same kind of thing. We're we're all in it, you know, as team representatives saying, I think this is what our customers are going to do, but. Uh, there's no track record for this. There's not a, a precedent in any of our lifetimes to, to really figure out what's going on. And, you know, and what we've seen so far is anytime we have opened up the gates, we've, uh, you know, for something kind of new and unique where um, we, our, our goal is, is really to convince our, our public that we've got everything thought of. It's going to be a safe, clean environment. We want to take that worry away from you before you even decide to come down to the ballpark. And, and what we found is that there, there is a consumer demand. There's a, there is an appetite for people to come out and, and do something like that. You just have to make sure that they understand that, you know, things are going to be a little different and that it's going to be different, um, you know, as, as a benefit and a service to them. 
Um, things are going to be cleaner. Things are going to be neater and tidier. And uh, everyone's going to have a little bit more space than they had before. And um, and I think from the public, there's there's enough people out there that are, are really uh, excited for that opportunity. From a corporate standpoint, our corporate clients are, are a little bit more hesitant right now. I mean, they've got more things to worry about. There's the liability part. They don't want to have their company associated with any kind of an outbreak um, for, for very good reasons. So it's, you know, the, they've been a little bit more reluctant right now, or a little bit more nervous, I guess. But um, like I said, anytime we have opened up the gates uh, over the past six months or so, we've, we've been overwhelmed by the support. How has your premium offering evolved or changed over the past five years? And where do you see it strategically headed in the future? Yeah, I'd say premium seating is probably an area that has evolved more than maybe any other area. Uh, certainly for us, you know, years back when our ballpark was built back in 1996, the the trends of the industry were to pack in as many seats as you could and as many suites as you could, but there was nothing in between. And and nowadays, you you want to have a lot of different levels, a lot of different price points. It's not just either you're in a corporate suite up here or you're just a, a common folk you know, in those uh, green seats. Now there's a lot of different price points and, and levels in between where um, you got folks that, that you know, want to have food built into their ticket or they want to have unlimited drinks built into their ticket or they want to have uh, complimentary on-site parking or they want to have their own table space or they want to have in-seat weight service. They want to have white glove service I mean, there's, or private restrooms, any number of things. And everyone's a little bit different in, in terms of what they're looking for. You do see more of a focus on, um, you know, smaller, more niche packages these days than than what you might have had before where, you know, the if a company wanted to entertain, they bought themselves a suite for 15 or 20 people. Now they want to do more four-person, um, you know, private boxes uh, and, and things like that, or six-person pods. Um, so there's a lot of a uh, lot of middle ground there now, um, where instead of just having you know a price point at at ten dollars and a price point at two hundred dollars, you've got maybe like eight different layers in between uh, of things that you can do. So really. Um, there's just a wider variety of different options. Um, people want to explore multiple areas now. They're just naturally more inquisitive and 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 naturally too. I think fans today are a little bit more dispassionate uh, with the team itself, and that's not a bad thing. It's just you know you you don't have as many folks that are just diehard into into every play and particularly at the baseball level, which we notice um, people that are into every pitch, they want to be there and they just want to experience the venue. They, they want it to be more immersive more so than just having a great spot to watch, you know, every pitch that's coming in and, uh, and all that. So uh, a lot of it is just kind of driven by that is, is creating that environment where, where somebody can, you know, have more of that truly immersive experience uh, rather than just coming in and, and being a spectator and, and watching a game. Sure. How has how is your evolution then in premium seating um, performed in relation to bringing new people that hadn't been to the ballpark before? With our evolution, we we were probably a little bit late to the game for, for different economic factors. We had, like I mentioned, the, the ballpark was built in 1996. We got a new lease agreement uh, 20 years later, which actually gave us the ability to have some um, uh, capital expenditures uh, and gave us the, the chance to do some renovations that we really needed for quite a while. So just within the past few years, we 
uh, updated all of our suites. Uh, we built a new club space where we actually uh, tore down some suites. Uh, we had five suites right behind home plate and it, it wasn't distressed inventory. They were still getting sold on a pretty regular basis. So we, we had to swallow uh, a little bit of a loss there initially, but we, we tore out five suites and, and created a, a large open club space that allows us to sell more of those premium products, uh, allows us to sell private loge boxes and some, some uh, VIP club uh, seats. It also gave us space that we can operate uh, year-round, some indoor club space that we had solely been lacking. A lot of premium seating is, is just kind of adapting um, to the trends and, and having to rearrange your stadium. And it's, it's costly, uh, but it's something you got to do if, if you want to stay relevant and, and show your fan base that uh, you're, you're always thinking and you're always trying to get uh, you know, new products made to, to meet the demands of the, of the consumer, then it, does, it, it opens up a whole other uh, book of business for you. Gonna focus a little bit on the on the venue itself and your best practices um, within the areas of, of the stadium in relation to inclusion, accessibility, and and diversity, especially as it relates to um, folks with disabilities. Yeah, absolutely. That's an area that that also is is emerging, and and it's great that it is. You know, when our ballpark was built again, 1996, it was very much an afterthought. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot that was really uh, adapted. Uh, for those purposes. And now we talk a lot about uh, ADA and, and every renovation that we do, every adjustment we do, uh, we're thinking about that. We're talking to the experts. Um, we're, we're bringing in some some legal advice and, and architectures to, to figure out how we can be accessible and, and compliant. Um, and back in those days, it was more like, okay, how many, how many ADA parking spaces do we need? Okay, let's, let's do that and exceed it. How many uh, accessible seats do we have? Okay, let's exceed that, and, and then we're fine. But, but you know, now it's uh, every every modification we make. It's okay. We need to have you know more space. We need to have more rails. We need to have uh, more um, <clears throat> adaptability, and um, and and you can see it now throughout the stadium. And and but it, it goes way beyond that now. It, nowadays we're thinking more about okay, let's do autism awareness night and we'll, we have a sensory room when whenever we do those events we uh, we started doing a peanut allergy awareness night a few years ago where one one night of the year is 100% peanut free which is not easy to do at a ballpark um, because you know how how popular peanuts are with, uh, with with baseball and then you get you know the shells that shells can be contagious or you know infectious and you've got to you've got to clean the ballpark like you never have before, but it's, you know, something that we'll do the first day of a homestand after we've had a, a, a week long road trip, plenty of time to get everything cleaned up, get all the peanuts shipped out of the stadium. Um, so we started doing that and, and it's going over really well. We built in two mother's rooms just for nursing mothers, one on suite level as part of our new club project and, and one that's down in the concourse. So there's, there's things like that. It's not enough. It, it probably will never be enough, but it's, 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 much more top of mind now than it ever had been before. We've we've got our own diversity and inclusion committee here uh, in uh, on staff. We've got half a dozen or so people that that meet every so often, and, and they just kind of get their brains together and say, "Hey, what what do we need to be doing as an organization?" We've taken some really good steps on on hiring practices and recruiting practices, and and just some internal uh, staffing things as well. Um, but you know, the fan facing things are are every bit as important. 
important and and that's always going to be a focus for us moving forward. How about as it relates to even just communications from website usability to just other communications, even within the whole area of, of ticket sales to practices that that make sure there's an awareness and a, a nod to different ways to communicate and, and engage people? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty prevalent um, in, in all of our communication pieces these days. Uh, I'm not a marketing expert, but our marketing people know that that's, that's got to be uh, front and center. And uh, yeah, you, you see it in our social media, you see it on our website. Um, we've got assisted listening devices, um, you know, and, and other tools like that that are available, you know, at the ballpark every day. It, you come up to a, a ticket window or if you're just in the stands and, and you need some assistance, we've, we've got some of those tools in place. And again, we're, we're still learning. Uh, there's always going to be more that we can do and, and there will be more that we will do. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's very much been a focus. Carrie, sure appreciate you spending the time with us today and, and giving us your thoughts and the benefit of your years of wisdom in the, in the business. And uh, I hope we get to talk again soon. And everyone, thanks for listening to Fired Up with Carrie Vick today from the Indianapolis Indians. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, be sure and subscribe. And if you really like what you heard, then why not leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify and tell all your friends. Also, thanks to the great people that sponsor Fired Up, NASCAR, the National Sports Forum, and the Association of Luxury Suite Directors. To learn more about Ignite Fan Insights and what this exclusive content can mean for you, visit ignitefaninsights.com and subscribe today. It's a wealth of information all about the fan at no cost to you. Your fan club subscription includes our e-publication, podcasts like this one, exclusive blogs, quarterly e-newsletters, and timely webinars that not only keep you up to speed on what your fans are doing, but you'll be ahead of the curve. Fired Up is hosted by Chris Wise and produced by myself, Brad Carpenter. We love making these shows and we love connecting with you, the listeners. Thanks again, everyone. And as always, stay fired up.